Good morning, church. Happy Turkey Day. Everybody get enough uh, turkey, enough, uh, enough food, leftovers. I'll tell you, I always enjoy this time of year, uh, starting with Thanksgiving. I've already got my, uh, uh, already have my Christmas tree up. Anybody else have your Christmas tree up? Oh, I had pretty, I had pretty good group of you there. Uh, this is the fattest tree we've ever had. I didn't know if that was like, you know, symbolizing me or what it was, but it's not very tall, but it's wide. So I, I get it. Uh, but, uh, Susan decorated it, made it look, made it look nice. And so hung a few lights on the outside there. So uh, we love Christmas time at our house. You know, already I, I can hear Christmas music come out of Kim's office because she, she's playing it early. And I'm right with you there, gal. Uh, welcome to our live stream audience, to our fellowship uh, center group, to everybody. We're just glad that you're here with us. And we are going to have a scripture reading by Sarah Cook. So, Sarah, come on up. Sarah is a senior at West Monroe, and uh, she is a drum major, which, by the way, hey, that's a pretty good task right there. Uh, and she plans to go to Louisiana Tech, and we, Sarah, thank you so much. By the way, I love band. I want you to know I'm a band person. I was a trumpet player. Oh, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. What do you play, flute? Okay. I love, I, I, I love band. Any other band members in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a few of you out there. I know Perky there. Uh, so, uh, we love to, uh, we love to make music, and so thank you for, uh, being willing to share with us today, okay? While scripture reading. So Matthew 22:36-40 says, "Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law?" Jesus replied, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments." And Matthew 23:11-12 says, "The greatest among you will be your servant." For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Thank you so much, sir. All right. Uh, Matthew 21 is where we're starting today. If you're sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, we skipped Matthew 20. Well, we really didn't skip it. I taught a lesson on Matthew 20 at peak of the week. And it's recorded and it's on there. And so if you've missed 20, go back to the website, listen to it, and you'll get to Matthew 20, which basically just said the kingdom is about grace, about serving, about sacrifice, and about compassion. So there you really didn't miss it at all. I gave it right there to you, okay? Go read those texts uh, uh, tonight and you'll get Matthew 20. But we had so much to get through, we're going to go through, uh, through chapter 23 today. So I know it's a hunk of material. We've been kind of taking big hunks and chewing on a little bit, best we can. And so we're, that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, uh, today uh, starts out in the text with uh, uh, this triumphal entry of uh, uh, Jesus. You know, I love, I, love a, I love a victory. I love a triumph. That's kind of how I, I felt. Uh, I, I ran the 5K turkey trot in Conway, Arkansas. Yay, yay, you can clap for that. Uh, and uh, there were no ambulances required, no medical assistance. They did point out a doctor uh, in front of me, and so I tried to keep him in sight the whole time I was running. 
Uh, and uh, I, I did actually run the whole thing, if you call what I do running. Uh, there was a lady in a stro- with a stroller that passed me, and I had tr- trouble getting over the speed bump. But other than that, I mean, I did pretty good, you know. So uh, uh, you have those moments of triumph when you participate in things. And so uh, we see here that the king is coming. We're going to see him come in this triumphal entry. And he's going to pronounce some judgments, and he's going to pronounce uh, some defense to what's going on there uh, with their accusations, and he's going to give some warnings or some woes. And so uh, the whole message basically says, you better get ready and get right. And that really becomes the message of this as well as a couple of chapters uh, uh, down the road here, to get ready and get right. So uh, this idea of getting ready, who's the slowest in your house to get ready? Now, don't, don't be punching them and saying she is. I'm asking, okay, confessions. There's a few confessions out there. Some are slower than others, right, getting ready. But, hey, look at you, how beautiful you look. It paid off, right? That's what I'm saying. Um, other of, uh, other of, uh, of us, we look in the mirror and say, it's just not worth the effort. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make that much difference. So, uh, but getting ready, being ready for something has a consciousness about it. uh, What's happening here? What's going on? And uh, so that's the idea. When he comes in, in chapter 21, this king's entry, he's fulfilling a prophecy that's that's mentioned in Zechariah chapter 9. Let's just read a little bit of this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to uh, Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you, and once you'll find, uh, there you'll find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. It's kind of like a password or whatever, I guess, you know. Uh, just tell them this, and they'll say, go on. This took place to fulfill what was pro- uh, spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle. I love that picture, by the way, of a gentle king. He comes to you gentle and uh, riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. By the way, this colt that he's riding, uh, uh, we find out, has never been ridden before. I mean, this is, a, this is not a used colt or a pre-owned animal, you know, as they say. Now, right? I mean, he's never been broke. And he's on this. And yet he rides in as smooth as could be. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the coat, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus said on them. Now, Jesus said on them what? He didn't sit on the, both animals at the same time. He, he said on the cloaks. Okay, get it? Understand your grammar there. Uh, and a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna, which means... Save now, which originally meant save right now, but it became a word they just used for praise. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth to Galilee. So this king enters on this donkey that's never been ridden. By the way, at wartime, a king entered after his victory of a war, he entered on a horse. But during peace, he entered on a donkey. This is a king of peace coming here. 
And the crowd, they shouted, Hosanna. They gave a word of praise. They're, they're on this side. I mean, they're excited about this. And the city was stirred. I like that. When the king comes in, the city gets all stirred up. I would love to see our city all stirred up. I've seen on the news some cities stirred up, but they're all stirred up for the wrong reasons. They're stirred up uh, uh, because of, of racism, or they're stirred up because of, of, of political ideas, or they're stirred up for a host of other reasons. I pray there'll be a time when the king is preached and Hosanna is shouted, and the city of West Monroe and Monroe will be stirred up for the King Jesus. Wouldn't that be good? That'd be good. Man, I almost went to preaching there for a minute. So he comes in. By the way, this triumph is temporary for this crowd. Because this crowd is going to move later on. The same group of people, they're going to be those that are in that crowd that were saying, Hosanna, they're going to choose words of hate down the road. Not just a few days. It's going to turn like that. <clears throat> well, then he comes into the temple. Jesus into the temple. Now, there's the cleaning of the temple that's going to take place. And there's the, there's the cursing of this fig tree that takes place. I, I hear myself. Did anybody else hear that? I heard somebody talking about me. I, somebody turned the phone on or something. But anyway, I get distracted easily. So I understand that. I don't mind you talking behind my back, but I kind of hate to do it to myself. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And it's written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So he goes into the temple courts, and remember they had to have certain sacrifices to take, and it was okay to buy them, to, to offer those up. But it wasn't about that. They're, they're making money at a vulnerable time in people's lives and taking advantage of them, charging three, four, five times the regular price of something. And he said, you've turned this thing into a den of robbers. My house ought to be a house of prayer. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest, teachers of the law, saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you've ordained praise? And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. And Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it'll be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. A couple of points about this. The cleansing of the temple, and especially the cursing of the tree. He's rebuking the Pharisees' hypocrisy. 
So the cleaning of the temple says you have inward corruption. Inward corruption. And the withering of the cursing of the tree says you have outward fruitlessness. Remember, there's leaves. It looks like it ought to bear fruit, but there's nothing there. So those Pharisees get it. You have inward corruption and outward fruitlessness. You look like you ought to produce something, but you don't. And this is just the beginning of the description that he's fixing to lay on some of these Pharisees. Of how disappointed he is that they did not accept who, his, who he was. This is just a part of his... So now they're going to reject him. And look what, what they do. The Pharisees went out, verse 15, they went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. Uh, that's their goal. They want to try to trap this guy. So they sent the disciples to him along with the Rodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men. Don't you love when someone comes to you with a bunch of compliments right before they're trying to give you a question to trap you? I mean, they're good. They're good manipulative people. <laughs> because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he knows the motives of their heart. You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him a Daenerys, and he asked, whose who's portrait is on this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they said. Then he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. They tried to trap him with a with a question of what belongs to Caesar. And he he rejects them. Now, I want to back up and show again, this is about their rejection. So we see it back there, but I want to back up to 21 and look at this rejection taking place. And it just, it starts kind of becoming I want you to see it in full, but it kind of becomes like a, like something that gradually opens up. A circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and the rejection of him just gets larger and larger. So he tells them when they ask his authority about, about why he's doing stuff, he says, you didn't accept John's authority, uh, and you didn't know where it came from. Why are you going to accept me? And then he gives them three parables that show the rejection now first is the parable of two two sons in chapter 21 verse 28 what do you think there was a man who had two sons he went out to the first and said son go and work today in the vineyard by the way vineyard you look back in isaiah the vineyard is always about the nation of israel okay get it and uh, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went to work. And the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, but he didn't go. Which of these two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. The people you think are lowest on the totem pole... They have no chance. They're entering heaven before you do. Now, is that not a rebuke? 
For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent or believe the truth. You had an opportunity to do the right thing, and you did not do it. Yet these other people, when they saw the right thing to do, they made a change in their life. But you would not believe, and you would not repent. How many of them stood back while John was preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven and they would not repent? They rejected the authority of God's word through John and now they're rejecting the authority of God's word through Christ. They're just not going to make the move. Then he gives them the parable of the tenants. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. And he put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower, and he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them, and they, they'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? He'll bring the wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he'll, he'll uh, rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give them his share of the, of the crop and harvest time. And Jesus said, Have you never read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on the stone will be broken into pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them, and they looked for a way to arrest him. They were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So again, another parable that says, God has sent you opportunity after opportunity, and you keep rejecting. You rejected the prophets. You rejected the word. You rejected Moses. You rejected John. And now you're still rejecting. Even when the Son of God comes, you reject him. Not only do you reject him, you put him to death. Which is exactly what's fixing to happen in a few days. So, they're not excited about the judgments that are coming down. Then he gives them another, one more rejection of his authority in this parable of the wedding. This parable of the wedding banquet, remember, he says, go out and invite all these people. And he does, but then nobody shows up. Then he says, well, look, go out and invite them again and tell them about all the good stuff I've barbecued. Man, I've cooked this the animal and I've got this one ready to eat. And I've got, hey, who doesn't love a good meal, right? Thanksgiving, right? Some of y'all love the good meal. Some of you loved it more than others. We love a good meal. He's throwing a big party. He's inviting everybody at this wedding banquet. And they won't come. Finally, finally he sends out and says, look, just go out and get anybody you can. And he invites everybody. And some of them come in. Now, there's one that comes in that gets rebuked. Now, this was kind of interesting to me. Verse 11. 
But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there was not wearing wedding clothes. By the way, when the king held a wedding, he provided clothes for you to put on. And wear. He provided that for you. So this guy evidently rejects the clothing of the king. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was what? Speechless. He didn't have any defense. And the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen. You know, you and I can walk through this life and we can have religious language that's correct. We can have religious attendance that's correct. We can come to what we think is the wedding and the party. But if we're not clothed with Christ, if we don't have the garments of the King on us, the same message will be, no, this is not, this is not the place for you. It'll be like those, those earlier that said, uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. He'll say, depart from me. I have what? I never knew you. To be clothed with Christ, Paul would write. It's what happens when a person is baptized into Christ. They're clothed with Christ. The garments of the king they wear. His garments are garments of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All those things, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Those characteristics of Christ that's seen in our own life, we clothe ourselves with that. Without the proper clothing, then we can try to run into the party all we want, but we'll be thrown out. Got it? They were rejected again. Now, in chapter 22, verse 15 through 46... We see the defense that's made. This defense is because he's asked, as we already mentioned earlier, just to, to show the authority that's defied. But they ask three questions. They ask a political question. They ask a doctrinal question. And they ask an ethical question. And then Jesus closes the section with his own personal question. So they asked about this thing, Caesar, this coin thing. Now, don't you love to talk politics? Now, look, some of you love to talk politics. Some of you hate it. Some of you can't wait to get home to turn on the news to your favorite side of politics. And isn't it amazing how by yourself you can be so convincing that the other side's wrong when nobody else is in the room? So they're thinking, remember, they want to trap him. They want to, they want to get him off guard. So what do you do when you want to get somebody really fired up and off guard? You talk politics. Caesar? Then Jesus makes that great answer. You're giving the Caesar Caesars, but under God, God. Well, that question doesn't work. 
So then they ask him, they get the Sadducees to ask him a doctrinal question. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. As one old instructor of mine used to say, that's why they're sad, you see. Some of you got that. The same day the Sadducees say there is no resurrection came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there was seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. I would have thought she'd have died about the second husband, but she made it through seven of them. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now, men, do you really want to restore this particular uh, tradition and following of the law? I'm just saying, I, I don't know that I'm a fan of working this way here. All of a sudden, you've got to take her. The next brother takes her. The next brother takes her. Now, Jesus said this. You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. Two things they didn't know. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't know what the Scripture said about resurrection. And they didn't know the power of God. So at the resurrection, people will neither marry or give in marriage. They'll, neither, they'll be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. These guys are still alive. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. He's a God of the living. When you die in the Lord, you're still living. Got it? There's something beyond the grave. They didn't get it. They're amazed at his answer. Then they ask him an ethical question. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, okay, they, they hear that. The Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So now... This ethical question, which is the greatest command? And by the way, even though they had said and repeated every day of their life as a Jew, what was the greatest command? They still didn't get it as the greatest command. They still missed it. They saw love your neighbor as yourself was love your fellow Jew. They they couldn't get it that it was really to love everybody. We love everybody. So while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now that he asked them a question. The son of David. 
They replied, and he said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand until I make your enemies, uh, I put your enemies under my feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. He defended all the, he answered all the questions in a wise way and then asked them one question. And they couldn't answer it. And now they just said, you know what? We better give up on this trapping stuff. It ain't working too well. Well, in this chapter 23, it's the king's warnings or woes. This word woe is going to be mentioned seven times. And it's the lament. It's the crying. It's the weeping uh, that's happening here. This is... Uh, a, a warning that takes place. Now, the first thing he tells them in the first 12 verses of chapter 23 is he says, resist placing yourself or others on a pedestal. Instead, develop a humble heart and a serving spirit. That's what he says first. Of Jesus said to the crowds, to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Now, look, I understand the difficulty of that. I don't practice what I preach all the time. I would like to. I want to. But I struggle. I'm weak. I'm human. I mess up. Don't ever put your preacher or teacher or anybody else up there thinking that somehow or another they're better and closer to God than anybody else. It's just not true. At least it ain't true for the preachers around here. I'll speak for me and Alan, okay? We have mess-ups. We have sim- struggles. We have to, but it's an honor to teach and it's an honor to preach. But I can't always practice the ideal that I'm preaching. But it was more than that with them. They didn't even make an effort to practice what they preached. They just wanted to put a burden on people. He says, no, they're not praying. They tie heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They're going to weigh you down. They're not going to help you out when you need it. Everything they do is done. Look here. Here's their key to the problem. Everything they do is done for men to see. Do you ever do anything for men to see? Well, Joseph Shulin was here last week. He uh, he said, I like the way y'all uh, do contribution. You have boxes at the back, but you also have opportunities. But he said, he's, I, I said, really? I said, why is that? He said, well, he said, I've been in places where they... You know, different kinds of groups. They all come down front and they and they they give in front of everybody, and everybody sees that they give, and somehow or another, there's some kind of great glory in all that. He said, "I like the fact you can just give and nobody ever sees or knows." That's the kind of spirit we have to have in in our giving. We don't do things to be seen of men. That's not why we do it. 
They make their phylacteries, that's part of their dress as Pharisees, wide, and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. They love for someone to be there saying, rabbi, rabbi, there he goes, a great guy passing by. They love that. But you are not to be called rabbi. It's not about the name. It's about lifting them up. You're not to be the only master. You're all brothers. Everybody's the same. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father. He's in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, or some versions say leader, for you have a teacher or leader, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There's the heart and spirit you guys have to have. And it's what they missed. So now he's taking them all the way on this journey. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's done the clearing of the temple. He's cursed the tree. He said it's your, it's your uh, inward corruption and your outward fruit, uh, fruitlessness that's been a problem. Uh, you want everybody to look at you when you do something. And so he's laid everything out. He's answered their questions. He's defended himself. And now he pronounces woes or warnings on them. And he gives seven of them. You can, you can read all seven of them at some time. I'm just going to kind of give you a quick sketch of what those are. A woe is a cry of anguish. And he pronounces this cry seven times. The first one in 13 and 14 is one of exclusion. You exclude people. Woe to you, Pharisees and the hypocrites. You're excluding other folks. Verse 15, it's subversion. You become missionaries of evil. You convert somebody only to manipulate them so that they become like you and the evil you do. Verse 16 through 22, it's deception. Several times in that section he says they were blind, they were blind, they were blind, and they twisted the Scriptures. They're deceiving other people. Verse 23 and 24, he says you majored on minors. I do want to read this one. Verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. One version, the old King James Version says, you've ne- neglected the weightier matters of the law. All right, listen. Everybody, look here. Everybody looking at me? Get this one straight. You listening? All truth is important, but not all truth weighs the same. This killed us with our history and how we interpret Scripture. We made everything we decided that was truth, we gave the same weight. So whether you denied Jesus or whether you took communion wrong, both resulted in somebody going to hell. We had a wrong view of Scripture and it killed us. And what happened was it took us to becoming like the Pharisees. We became like them. And that we weighed people down with heavy things and we condemned people who God didn't condemn. And shame on us. 
said, now you shouldn't neglect the smaller things, but there were weightier, heavier, more important things, justice and mercy and faithfulness, those things that you should have kept stronger. Remember what Jesus said, uh, remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15? That the moreover, brother, uh, I'm preaching you the gospel, which is of what? First importance. It's first. That means other things are not first. And when we make other things first, we make them equal to the gospel. And we mess a whole lot of things up when we do that. This is just one of the woes they had, but they did not understand that about Scripture. It says they were blind guides, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. (laughs) First importance is the gospel. He goes on to tell them that they, not only did they major in minors, they focused on the external. They washed the outside of the cup when the inside was dirty, basically. The outside, like these whitewashed tombs, he's going to tell them in verse 27 through 28. They look great, but there's nothing inside there but dead bones. He said, that's the way it is with the Pharisees and the hypocrites. They're, it's just, they're just dead. They look good on the outside. They wear all the right stuff that makes them look good and religious. But on the inside, there ain't nothing but dead bones. I don't want to be a church that looks good on the outside and there ain't nothing on the inside. I don't want to be that kind of church. I don't want somebody to walk in and say, Boy, Mike, y'all have a great, great worship. Y'all have a great assembly. I want people to be encouraged by it. But understand, it's not about what people walk in and physically see happening here. Because it wouldn't matter if we were under a tin roof and there's mud under our feet. If we're praising God, we're praising God. It ain't about what you see on the outside. Yes, I thank God for what we have. But it's not about decorating the building. It's not about decorating the outside of our life. It's not about how we look to other people. It's about the inside being right with God. Matter of fact, their inside was so wrong they even turned to murder. He said, you've murdered the prophets, and you're, going, and you're going to murder the ones that come after them. Talking about himself and the disciples. Then Jesus makes an astonishing statement as he closes this whole thing out. He says this. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often... Now, how did he feel about them? How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Some of y'all had your families together. How was it? You gathered your chicks under your wings, some of you moms and grandmas, and you had them all there around the table. Wasn't it great? You could love on them. They wanted to be there. What a precious time. Jesus is saying, this, the Israel, my nation, my children, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I want you to be around and gathered up. But they were unwilling. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I'll tell you, you'll not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He laments. He hurts because he loves them. 
and yet they've totally rejected him. What's he saying through the whole chapters, all these chapters? Get ready. Get right. The king has come, and he'll come again. The crowd went from temporary triumph to eternal tragedy. They went from Hosanna to hate, from praise to protest, from declaration to death, from singing to sorrow, from shouting Hosanna in the highest to shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That's how quickly the crowd changed. The whole time he's saying, get ready, judgment's here, so get right. The message is the same to us today. Get ready. King's coming. And get right. Are you willing to get right today? That's the invitation we offer as we stand and as we sing.